Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. How you doing today, Mike? Good. I've been enjoying this virtual tour that Kyle's on. I feel like he's got to have his vocal cords ready this week. He's been on radio during the day, tour at night, sometimes two events a night. So um, that's been a lot of fun. How about you? Did you get to tune into any of them? Yeah, I did. I, I was glad to see that he got his, um, you know, his audio was working great during the Brad Thor uh, at the Poison Pen Facebook Live event. He got his headphones because he mentioned he he hadn't done the headphones yet. Um, seems like him, his his wife Kim also follows me on Instagram, so she's been or follows us, not me. Um, and follows the podcast. Fo- follows the podcast. There we go. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they, they've been having fun do, signing books, going on these Facebook Live events. I really like that the Brad, uh, Brad Thor, Kyle Mills. Did, you were able to watch that too, right? Yeah, that that was good. And they resurrected the talk about the crossover, a possible short story. You know, Scott Harvath, Mitch Rapp, and um, if the two of them can get together and pull that off, that's going to be something. That will yeah, that would be I, really nice. I was happy to hear that Brad brought that up because I know Kyle talked to us about that and was wondering if that will ever take shape. And so if, if Brad's talking about it, Kyle's talking about it, maybe maybe something will pan out here. Yeah, let's hope. We'll see. Tim Flynn last night was good. Um, I know. Vince's brother. Nice. You know, the one the one takeaway from, from that event was Kyle better not dare put a Mitch in a ponytail or a man bun. No man bun, no man bun fun for Mitch Rapp. That was he funny. was he was pretty adamant, and, and Kyle's like, "But Mitch has long hair sometimes, you know. He grows it out." And Tim's like, "No ponytails." Yeah, yeah. So we got a couple more coming out. I'm I'm excited to look at those. And um, yeah, this has just been a fun time. Finally, being uh, you seeing so many people reading Total Power, posting about it, uh, Publication Day. You know, we dropped our episode and put all all the stuff out on social media. So many people, so it's it's fu- nice to finally you know this is out in the public. And now I'm, I got a recommendation on my Audible that or you might want to buy this audiobook. Um, it's a top seller, Total Power. Ooh. Like, tell Ooh. me more. <laughs> What's Maybe it about? I'll buy it. <laughs> Do they have any podcasts to follow up once I'm done reading? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, you know who is reading Total Power and listening to this podcast. John M., our newest patron. So we want to welcome, welcome John. Thank you. Without your support and the support of all our patrons, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing. And remember, this month in September, we're doing a special book giveaway for our patrons. So if in the next week or so you still want to join on, pitch in and help support the show, in addition to sending you a Mitrap Pod sticker and bookmark, we will also put your name into an entry for a giveaway. So here are the autograph books that we have, and the winner gets to choose. So September's winner can choose Executive Power, Extreme Measures, Pursuit of Honor, Act of Treason, Protect and Defend, or the Kyle Mills special, his first Mitch Rapp book ever, The Survivor. And all of those are signed by the authors, and we'll mail one out to the winner of our Patreon contest. So... We're going to pick that name by uh, next week's episode, September 28th, so be sure to jump on the Patreon if you are interested. And thanks again to all our existing patrons. Yes.
what are we covering on today's episode, Chris? All right. So we're excited to continue our journey through discussing Total Power. Uh, last week, we discussed the first part of Total Power from chapters 1 through 20, all the way up until the, the attack and the loss of power. And so today, we're going to be finishing up the book. We're going to do our wrap-up with a couple rapid-fire questions, do our zero-sum game, and I'm going to give you our final rating. And so just to give a brief you know, summary of the first 20 chapters of what we talked about, last time we ended with the culmination of the attack on the power grid being accomplished. Rap is pretty much stunned as he's taking out a man who was supposed to be helping uh, accomplish this attack. And our, our buddy... I don't know if you want to call him Buddy, but our our buddy Power Station, John Alton, enjoys the spoils of his attack atop that mountain in Virginia. Right, so diving right in to chapter 21 through the rest of the book, I just wanted to, you know, last time we really hit home this theme of loss of control. And that definitely continues here, but I feel like it, it sort of switches its perspective in terms of the loss of control was really focused on our, our man Mitch Rapp and the whole establishment, right? And now it's going to slowly slip into the loss of control of our villain. And that's really what's going to, you know, take over. But also this this new theme that I feel like also really plays a prominent role in the second half of this book is, you know, you sort of brought this to my notion, and I agree with you, is this idea of know thy enemy, right? So we're really going to try to focus, Rap is really going to try to focus on trying to understand who his enemy is. And he won't even really understand who his enemy is until the very end. You know, like, he sort of has an idea of who John Alton is. And he has to make a, a gut decision to call someone's bluff. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that in depth. But yeah, this idea of really a long slog of understanding. Because most of the time, Rap knows, he, he understands, you know, I mean, I guess he knows who ISIS is, right? He has a clear mm-hmm. distinction of who ISIS is and, like, understands their motivations. But really trying to understand Power Station or, or John Alton, this is sort of a new new realm for him, I feel like. It's interesting to think about the villains who have Mitch has sort of taken down. Some of them that come to mind are like, a lot of them are politicians, obviously. Um, and also Rep knows who those people are, right? But one of the other ones that comes to mind, who I guess Rap didn't really understand that well, um, was the villain from The Last Man. And also the villain in uh, The Survivor, uh, Joe Rickman. And uh, Alton kind of reminds me of him. Do you, do you see that comparison? Could you understand the comparison? I could definitely see that. They were both experts in their field, you know, right? cream of the crop. And they both had extraordinary and vast amounts of knowledge in their field. And so I hadn't thought of that. But total power is kind of like, you know, how... The Last Man and the Survivor, Rickman's field is the Afghanistan theater of war. And here, Power Station is the analog of Rickman, who's mastered the grid, who knows the ins and outs, who can pull strings with different uh, power companies. And he's kind of that in America. So that's interesting. I hadn't thought about how similar this book is to The Last Man and the Survivor because they were kind of a, a pair, you know two peas of the same pod. But um, I never thought Total Power would compare that much because the setting is so different. But yeah, now that you're thinking, of, now that I think of it, the Know Thy Enemy and Loss of Control themes really play play well in both that those stories and in this one. So yeah, I could see that. I could see that. 
it just like a lot of times the villain is a known quantity, whether it's ISIS or, or the Taliban or mm-hmm. Al Qaeda or some sort of terrorist, right? Or the secondary terrorist in politicians. But here we we get a clear cut, you know, just a little a little bit different enemy than normal. Yeah, and on the theme, know thy enemy. It's kind of crazy because they actually call, well, Irene and Mitch at the meeting call in Power Station, and he comes with yeah, Janice no. Crane from the Department of Energy to debrief them on what's going on and how we might stop this attack or how we might undo this attack, and they're relying on him, and so it's kind of like a double agent, but in a in a villain sense, and uh, but although that's part of the loss of control, which because it, it puts Power Station's plan into motion. Yeah, he has to execute it in the in the winter time, which is not ideal if you want maximum destruction and, and carnage. So that's just part of the loss of control. And that's also in the back of their minds probably going to play a role eventually when the, when Sonya is able to provide intelligence that links Power Station to these attacks. Uh, that's going to help Mitch and Irene unravel the string of events and help know thy enemy even more because they they have Power Station. And his history. They have his reports that he's done to Congress. They debriefed him. And so they can go back to those conversations and kind of unravel things uh, in their mind once they know he's the right. big bad. You know, a cool technique that I was thinking about that, that I don't know, might have... I love this book, but one thing that I thought could have taken it to the, another level, made it even better, not not that I should give critiques to, to, to great writers. Um <laughs> What what if you, and I'm just taking this from other you know literature that I've read, but what if we never knew that John Alton was Power Station until the end, right? You could introduce both characters, but yeah. never, you know, only use Power Station when he's dealing with the ISIS or Sonya or whatever, and then you also introduce this character of John Alton who's with Janice Crane, and yeah. then 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 there's like this big reveal at the end. It was that just too much of a big reveal, you know? I don't know. I was just thinking about that. I think that's genius, and I think it could work. I wonder if it would have made things too messy, if it would have had too many loose ends, and you want the reader at some point to be in the dark, wondering just like, you know, just like Rap and Crew, what's going on, and not being able to see the big picture. So, yeah, I feel like that could work. Like the airplane scene, right? Kyle gives us a little bit of that where we don't exactly know what's going on. Yeah. And so there is that payoff once we find out what the heck is this airplane scene about? Oh, it was a mission. If you do that over the course of the book with the main plot and the main villain and the main character and create that, that, you know, vagueness, you might lose some readers. I don't – it could be gripping with the payoff, but is it worth plotting through the book if you're confused? So – Right. I, don't, I don't know. And then the other thing is, is it very Flynnian to do that? I feel like Vince... Probably not. He, he always showed us the big bad, as we've called them, or that politician pulling strings so that we can nail them in the end, so that we could watch right. rap punch their lights out eventually. He always gave us the inside of their operations and flip-flop the chapters back and forth. So I think it could be a really strong device. I'm I'm glad Kyle didn't didn't go that route. He could have. Uh, he let us know right up front that Power Station, or dropped a whole lot of hints and breadcrumbs that Power Station was 
the same guy yeah, as, as the one of the games, on. John yeah. Alton. Yeah, we know that off the bat, essentially. I think he says at one point, like, they don't know what's going to hit them with, with, what I, with what I'm about to do or something like yeah. that, you know? So yeah. It's like the last line of, like, chapter five or six or whatever. I don't know. But anyways. Maybe that could work as, like, a TV show, you know? And it's like, well, and it's I think, like in yeah. the shadows, you never really see his face kind of thing. And then boom. I think if you did this as a movie or a TV show, you'd almost want to, you'd prefer to do something like that. You'd want to do that, yeah. But also have the character of John Alton there, and he's just this jovial, or not jovial, but, you know, he's just this know-it-all guy sitting in a room. Well, here's the other thing, right? If they were going to use him and bring him in on all the conversations, they would have wanted him at the complex, right? They would have wanted him at what we're going to talk about soon, Seneca Rocks, you know, to right. be that expert in with the FBI and in with the CIA working on this. Yeah. And so how do you write a story with him there the whole time? He wouldn't have been able to carry out the plot and be doing right. what he's doing with ISIS. So there there are some pitfalls. It could have been a really exciting plot device. I was just it was just something I was thinking yeah. about. So yeah. I think ultimately though it's not very Flinian. No, you're so, right. You're right. Yeah. And that's why it wasn't done. Yeah. But but let's get to the story. The, I like that. Uh, Flinian. Flinian. It's very Flinian. We should trademark that. Yeah, so the story picks up with Rap shortly after the attack. He has one of the terrorists, the one he wrestled and prevented from attacking the substation, in his truck. And he's torturing him using natural methods by leaving him out in the cold as he drives. Warm him up, bring him into the truck, put the heat on. And uh, just as the guy is uh, thawing out, you know, he... uh, says you're not giving me enough information back in the back you go and let's start driving and so he puts him back in the freezing cold so it's kind of like i don't know i think of like thawing out a steak on my counter it shocks the steak and ruins the meat if you you know thaw it too much or not enough and then you put it on heat while it's still uh too cold well he's doing that to a human (laughs) i don't know like i was just thinking about this and you know up here in ithaca it gets pretty cold during the winter and sometimes I'll go out for like a crazy run and then I have really bad circulation in my in my hands. And so when I come back, even, you know, I wear gloves, I do whatever. But when I come back, my hands will be really cold and then I'll go to like wash them. Ooh. And the excruciating pain that I get for, or like, you know, or going to take a shower or whatever. And I was just thinking about, oh, my God, that's so brutal what he's doing to this guy. But yeah. I could feel the pain, you know, like I can't, exactly. I can't yeah, understand yeah. the it's pain visceral. of waterboarding, but I could understand this pain. Yeah. This guy visceral. was going like a little bit of this pain, you know, can you understand having your balls sawed off by a plastic spoon on an airplane? Uh, no, I can't. Yeah. I don't, can't I don't know I do. much about that one either. Can't say I do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I hope I never, I hope I never. Yeah. I'm going to hope you never uh, also, you know, being your friend. <laughs> All right, we see Sonia, though. We've already introduced you to Sonia, who was the sleeper agent, woken up. She has made contact with Power Station. She has seen him. She knows him. And she also knows the Russian government has this information. She turned it over to them. And she's slowly realizing what happened when the power goes out in her D.C. home. And so for a few chapters, we're going to see her contemplating this idea of turning over the information to the FBI. You know, essentially, one of the themes I thought about picking was just do the right thing. Sonia really uh, embodies that. And I'm happy in a few chapters here, we're going to see 
Uh, Scott Coleman, Mitch and the team embrace her, realizing she's trying to do the right thing, even if she was a trained Russian agent. So that's going to lead to some fun down the road. Yeah. Now let's get to the the bunker scene. The first bunker, I guess this is the first bunker scene, yeah? I think so, yeah. Um, and Mitch pulls up to one of the entrances that's not guarded, and you just need like a phone or, or something. Not, or a key you card. need something, to, a key card to get in. And he sees someone there who has his car packed to the max, wearing, I think he might have said that he was wearing loafers or something like that, out of place. And it's it's a congressman. And it's the same congressman who Mitch, after watching, you know, preparing for this attack, was watching some of these hearings talking about the power grid. And it's one of the congressmen who was like, yeah, we're not paying for shit. And, <laughs> you know, he's like, this is ir- irony to the max. Yep. And what does he do, Mike? Uh, I mean, this this congressman is standing out there in the cold. He's freaking out, wants to get into the bunker. And Mitch tells him, no can do. He opens the gate. And as the congressman wants to get in, he says, I deserve a spot in there. I belong to the U.S. government. Mitch knocks his ass out. <laughs> so no no better way to uh, get going on this podcast than Mitch punching a bitch-ass congressman, you know, square in the face and leaving him in the cold. And Mitch drives in. Gate closes behind him, and there's the congressman bleeding from the face down in the snow. Love it. Tells him to go be go be with your constituency. That's Get it. Go back to here, your yeah. constituents. <laughs> Take care of them. Don't hide out in a bunker. Yeah. Although, so this bunker, well, by, by the way, Rap has the terrorist, and before he gets in, it's kind of a funny exchange. Rap has the credentials, but one of the security guards at the next layer of um, Gates is like, hey, sorry, Mitch, you only have credentials for one. Can't let this other guy in. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's hogtied up in the back of the truck, you know, freezing his ass off. So Mitch cuts him a deal. You can come in with me, and I'll turn you turn you over, which will lead to a life of you know solitary confinement and torture with the CIA, because they're going to want your information. Or you can just help me out right now. I'll put a bullet in your head. You get the easy way out. Well, terrorist takes the deal. He opens his phone, unlocks it for Mitch. Once Mitch has the password and the phone is unlocked so they could see who he planned the attack with or who his contacts were with ISIS, there it is. One of Rap's many kills in the back of a truck. Open the gate. <laughs> Open the gate. Yeah, so this Seneca Rocks bunker was, you know, just trying to picture it in my mind, was really interesting to think about. And we've actually, we've seen it before, right? Yeah, so I, I can't help but think this was based on a real-life bunker that we've had in operation since the 1970s. Um, it's in Bluemont, Virginia, and this one, Seneca Rocks, is in Seneca Rocks, West Virginia, uh, not too far west of the real one. But in Bluemont, they have Mount Weather. And this thing, I, I looked into it just a little, but I want to do some more research. Massive, massive complex, 564 acres, uh, it's the official National Emergency Operations Center alternative site for the Department of Homeland Security. So if there ever is a major issue where they have to evacuate D.C., this becomes the bunker for top government officials. Um, it's basically inside a mountain. They can fit 2,000 of the government's officials. There's working space for every major federal agency and the White House to be completely up and running out of this bunker. And 
you know what's crazy is Vince used that bunker, Mount Weather, in Memorial Day. You remember the nuke, Chris? Well, we don't want to spoil yes. it too much, but there's a oh, major yeah. scene, the ba- basically the conclusion of Memorial Day. It, it's really one of the best crescendos in any Vince book of, you know, a uh, climax. Mount Weather, the real live one, is where Mitch saves the day. Just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Nukes, right. planes, that was Mitch really saving good. the day. So, yeah, um, I can't but help and think Kyle based the Seneca Rocks bunker on the real world Mount Weather. I mean, it just had such a close relation. You know, there's actually um, an agreement with the National Gallery of Art. I said every federal agency that they would relocate certain valuable pieces of artwork uh, to Mount Weather. So they've they've got enough space, not only for the government to run, but to preserve national treasures like that, which is kind of crazy. Imagine like the Declaration of Independence and I wonder. I mean, stuff those, like that. Yeah, those have their own bunkers. I don't know. Although we Not we've true. used the Mount Weather site. Uh, I saw that, of course, after September 11th, a, most of the congressional leadership was brought there by helicopter. And then again in 2015, in April, a major power outage in the D.C. region temporarily caused uh, Department of Homeland Security to shift operations to the alternate uh, National Emergency Operations Center up in Mount Weather. So. Anyway, that's a little tidbit right there. Yeah, no, I like that bunker. And well, we're, we're going to return to that bunker quite often, but and it progressively gets worse and worse and smellier and smellier. And, yeah. <laughs> yes. So we walk into the bunker for the first time, and it, it is crazy. It's a madhouse. There's so many people that are packed in, and Mitch just needs to find... No, in the beginning, he's he's... Sorry. In the beginning, he is led by a person there to yes. where he needs to be. And we are sitting on this meeting discussing what just happened. And TJ, uh, the head of FEMA, is he's most concerned about the water and how if that goes and he sort of he kind of brought this up in the, the meeting at the White House before this happened, but as soon as the water goes, then you know, everything is gonna go downhill south really quickly after that. You're going to begin to see through the course of these couple of meetings at the bunker, the president really take this hardline stance of becoming like what TJ said, uh, becoming a dictator, like democracy ends. So and then at the end of that scene, we get sort of like all the operators, the FBI, the CIA, you know, they're they're sitting at the they're standing at the back of this 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 conference, you know, reps like we we fucked up, you know, yeah. we messed up. It was on us. We knew this was going to happen. And he's he's pissed. You can tell he's pissed yeah. in that situation. And he tells Kennedy, he's like, "I'm going home. Yeah, find me someone to go kill, or or get me so some find intel. me someone to you give me some intel." He turns in the phone you, and says, "Kennedy, once you got something on this, call me in. But yeah. until then, let's save a spot in the bunker for you professionals who, you know, can do your job better than I can, and let me do my job of killing once you have a name." He also says, right. though, he says. You know, there's only one person who can fix this. And so thinking of like, know thy enemy, he's smart enough to say, find the guy who is responsible because that's where I come in. Only once you know who's responsible, he's the only one smart enough to fix this or the only one yeah. who has the, the picture, the, the big picture to fix this. And so we're already seeing that know thy enemy play out of that. We're going to go nowhere with solving this unless we get to that guy and you give me, give me a chance with him and uh, yeah. I'll get you what you need. The, I, the the chance for mitigation has come and gone. Yeah. And now we just have to clean it up. 
and the only way to clean it up is to find power station. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're going to come back to it later, but real quick while you, while you mentioned it was that Rep did have a contact. There was, there was a lady assigned, you know, to walk him through the bunker. She's opening doors for him, swiping key cards. When he comes back in a few chapters, though, I just think it fits to talk about it here. He walks in the bunker and it's chaos. People sleeping yeah. everywhere. People stuff on top. Worse. It smells bad. And he has to just turn to a kid. There's some kid playing, probably one of the family members. And he's like, hey, yeah. kid, um, do you know Where's the director the of the CIA? No, first, I think he says, do you know oh, the director yeah. of CIA? And the kid's like, what? But then he goes, oh, someone you would actually recognize. How about the president? You seen him? And the kid's like, oh, yeah, he's over there. <laughs> That's how crazy right. things are. And, th- and there there he is. There's Alexander wearing his running shoes and jeans and, uh, and, a, and a Crimson Tide sweatshirt. I'm just imagining like the scene from Independence Day where like they're all like the, the president and all of his people are in that bunker, but like jacked up to a lot more, you know, because yep. this bunker's huge, you know, bigger, thousands, it's mass yeah. chaos. Um, but yeah, like that's what I was. I when I read things, I try to envision something from a movie or a thing to like tie it back to 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 get it to stick in my mind. So I feel like I'd prefer an alien invasion. <laughs> over over how americans turn on each other you know in this book without food and water and electricity i was like at least aliens have a chance of being nice (laughs) like i feel like with with aliens we probably like rally together to defeat them you know it's like yeah we're not in this in this case we're not rallying together we're actually totally being separated isolated fending for our families fending for ourselves yeah there's so many stories that take that our tragedy of this plot has to be so bad the world can't help but unite like the watchman i don't know if you read the graphic novel but that's basically the plot of the graphic novel is the threat has to be big enough that the world's willing to come together and the movie okay. kind of changed that a little bit but it's yeah, like only, the, only in the movie here the issue is just america and so even a plot big enough to take the whole country down still doesn't unite us. You know, it is that thing that can destroy our whole way of life. And yet it still is not enough to get people to pool their resources and come together at large. And I think Kyle well, saying something about American society and politics, you know, with that statement. I'm going to counterpoint with, you know, I would have thought a global pandemic would have done e- it. even yeah. one, even one that's not, you know, the yep. worst possible pandemic that we could have seen would have brought us closer together, but you know, it's actually made it, you know, it really almost, worse. it almost did for a while. I mean, it did. I, I remember for, for in the early second. days and maybe it was when there was more anxiety and fear, a direct anxiety and fear. I feel like we were starting to rally and say like, we can pull through this. And some of those tributes were really moving, you know, to frontline right. workers and delivery uh, people and then it all got really old and people just got cranky and even more. Right around Easter. <laughs> yeah. As they got just more sick of quarantine. Like, so maybe, maybe these, that goes to show we can rally together. We can unite, but it's an issue of stamina. It's an issue yeah, of short period longevity. Of yeah. Yeah, exactly. Seeing, Especially seeing when like the people weren't seeing, like it wasn't like contagion was happening where, you know, one out of every four people are dying, you know, like type thing. Whereas like bad, the, yeah. it wasn't that bad. So like, we're not seeing, you know, yeah. it's something that you don't see. It's, you know, but. I mean, a hundred thousand Americans, you know, gone. Oh yeah. I'm tragedy, not trying to say, but again, and Kyle's made this point in a couple of his interviews just this week on the virtual tour. 
it's not really as bad as it could have been. You know, imagine if the infection and death rate was multiple multiplied greatly, or it took, you know, uh, younger people at the same rate it takes elderly, or it took healthy people with no pre-existing conditions at the same rate. So yeah, I see what you're saying. This would that be enough? We would hope it never comes to it, would but that would be that be enough? enough to unite us? I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I hope we don't see it. Although, I hope to God we don't see it. You know, we're at a perfect point in the book to have this conversation because chapter 25 is where we meet Jed Jones. Yeah, I really like this character. Yeah. I think, uh, wow, there's so much great things to say about this book, but Jed Jones might just be one of the best uh, new characters rolled into the series in a long time. Um, I don't know. He's great. So basically we meet this radio broadcaster who is a self-declared fringe survivalist podcaster. Uh, he's been on the internet for a little while with this fringe survivalist kind of backwoods, outdoorsy mentality. You know what's funny about this is when I listen to a podcast for our last Road to Total Power, I listened to a podcast that was like on off-the-grid radio. <laughs> okay. And it's done by this guy who he just does podcasts about living off the grid. And I was like... Yeah. This, is this guy is Jed. It's like Jed. he could be. It was I, the whole time when I was thinking about it. it I, the, the podcast was from like 2016, but um, I was like, "Have you read Mitch Rap? Because <laughs> you are Jed." <laughs> well, maybe so. That again, though, shows how in tune Kyle is, right? In Lethal Lake, I mean, he lives in Why or he lives in Wyoming, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Yeah, yeah Wyoming. Um, so there's probably some survivalist he's bases on you know sure but like he just understands media like you remember yeah. lethal agent was the time of like the russians rigging the election and you know cyber bots attacking us and influencing public opinion and mitch put um propaganda artists and video makers to go viral in with the terrorists well now he's putting while america's being divided a fringe survivalist podcaster so i feel like kyle's keeping up with real media trends and like real influences on public opinion. And there right. is a deep strain of this like, you know, Joe Rogan or, you know, Jack Carr's done a bunch of shows or Jocko Willink or some of these guys who are just more like rugged, tough outdoorsmen. That's huge, right, in media right now. So, you know, the battle line guys, the black rifle coffee guys, there's, there's so much media out there that's like a Jed Jones. And so here's though where I was split on Jed's actual philosophies, right? I love the the stuff he's spitting, like, the government doesn't have your back, and, right, they're letting you down, and they really don't have a plan. You got to take this into your own hands. He's really trying to unite people. He's, but then, he, yeah, exactly. He's, he's also he crapping on the government, right? He is calling them yes. out, but rightfully so. Isn't that the First Amendment, right? At the same time, though, look at what he does to one of his callers. So... Another thing Kyle does well. I, I really like that. Love this. I mean, think about trolls or these idiots who just say these, you know, divisive comments just to start fires. Usually the media platform will eat that up, right? Like the news, pl uh, the interviewer would, would roll with it and love it because it's inflammatory. Well, Jed shuts this asshole down. He kicks him off his show and goes, what are you doing? Here's a quote. The shit has officially hit the fan and we are all Americans. There are no more Democrats and Republican Republicans, no more rednecks and no more snowflakes. We've got to work together. Us knuckle draggers might be able to kill and gut a deer, but those little nerdy guys might be able to set you up with solar panels to keep you alive. And if you eat some bad barbecue, 
United we stand, assholes. Divided, we're screwed. I love that. He cuts I, I, a guy off his show and tells him, stop with your, you know, right, left, extreme politics. We're all Americans all right now. Californian snowflakes, yeah. Yeah. No, I really, I really like that. And I feel like Kyle does a good job of trying to be, you know, he's got to make these books. He tries to make the books, you know, sort of readable to both not alienate a, a single population. But I, I, I agreed with Jed in that situation. Like, yeah. If, if we're in that situation, we just got to, everyone has a, a base of knowledge and let's stand together. Yeah. He does crack later on. We will see, um, which I'm sure anyone would in that situation. But in this, in this instance, I, I don't know. Jed was probably my favorite character. Yeah. Introduced in this book. Yeah. And he's a podcaster. What's not to like about him? Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is this guy set up that he's able to broadcast yeah. to the whole all of the United States. It is on, yeah, because he's taken off. Like he's become the default media, and the only way people are getting their news, he must have some wicked setup. He's in what? Is it Idaho? We later learn. Yeah, because a couple of scenes take place at his his home, but um, he must have he must have a setup. Well, I'm guessing, I'm guessing he relays it, and then people rebroadcast it. That's true. That's true. He yeah. could have a network of people that replay rebroadcast. Yeah, yeah that's true. Hey, well, just because uh, there's a couple other scenes that take place back with Rap out in Manassas and at home with Claudia and Anna. I jumped the gun last episode on the scene with uh, telling her she's not going back to school and her friend Tina. But when I reread that again, man, that pulls at your heartstrings. So sorry that I uh, jumped the gun on that that episode, uh, that scene last time. Oh, that's all right. But no, that was a... I feel like that the scene with Anna and Claudia, I don't know, it begins to show the human side of rap. We don't really get a, get a lot of that. And I feel like he's always wanted a family. And now we're starting to see him really get this family more, you know. Anna's growing up with him. And we're learning, like, you know, it's very brief. Obviously, it's not like the whole book that we're trying to get the inner workings of rap and how he wants to be a father figure. But, you know, these little tidbits we get of his relationship with Anna and Claudia. It's nice to see, like, you know, rap as a human being, you know, not just this machine killer. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, the story kind of pivots here to the Russians. Irene was finally able to get some leads. I think there was something in a chat room that they saw some chatter on that might have linked Power Station to the Russians. And yep. that that intel is coming in right as Sonia is again trying to deliver what she knows to the FBI. Right. She, she actually ventures out of her home. It sounded like somewhere in central D.C., not far out of downtown, maybe like around the U Street or Petworth neighborhood kind of, but far enough where she's able to walk her way a few miles uh, to the FBI building right on Pennsylvania Avenue. And... Um, she wants to do the right thing, but there's a riot. The crowds are not happy with the situation. Uh, they're outside the FBI building demanding answers to improve the, uh, what's going on. And Sonia has no way of getting the information through. She even says, like, I could push my way in front of the crowd, and what am I going to tell one of the guards as I just look like a crazy person who's trying to kill them? Right. Oh, oh, I'm a Russian sleeper agent who has, you know, I'm, I'm secretly a Russian agent who has information about the attack. They're going to think she's crazy. Or then she says, I could go to a phone booth 
and hopefully we'll have one that somehow has power or is on a backup generator. But who would I even call? Or I could find someone with a cell phone that can make an emergency call. She's like, I don't know the FBI's number. And 911 sure as hell ain't taking me serious right now. Right. right. So. Yeah. So, you know, we cut back to rap again, back at the bunker. Um, the president wanted him there to be when he called the, the Russian president. We get this nice intimidation tactic that the president Alexander is using against the Russians. And he, you know, is doing a Zoom call. Uh, <laughs> like like we all know. Those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And calls him up. The guy's like, yeah, we don't know what you're talking about. And then he looks to Irene and says, hit it, Irene. And then, boom, power goes out in Moscow. They finally get the, the thing back up. He's like, are you willing to talk now? He's like, this, he, you know, this is ridiculous. It is act of war. President right? Utkin says that's an act of war. Right. And Utkin, and, uh, the president, the Russian president points out, what's he doing here? Because who's standing behind Alexander? Oh, right. Exactly. Mitch Rapp. Mitch Rapp. Mitch Rapp. He's like, what the hell Mitch is, is there he doing in this meeting? That was the whole point. Yep. Yeah. So, but, you know, Alexander lays it all down. He's like, listen, we both have nukes. You're not going to do anything to us. Also, we know that you, like, try to position yourself um, monetarily to to overcome this. To brace for this. You know, uh, to brace for this. But you're not going to, you're not fully set up to do this. You're going to have impacts. It would highly benefit you to get Help our us. power back on. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us what you know. So... And then, he's, then, he's, then he like, I don't, does he, he whispers to, or no, no, the, the other guy comes in. Like, comes in. And he's like, hey, our, our embassy in Washington actually does have something. And president is yes. like, what? The Russian president's like, what? And, and the embassy, it turns out, did send an agent to go talk to a guy who had information on the power grid. And so it kind of cuts out with uh, Alexander strong arming the Russians into coming clean and saying, we can't give you the, we don't know who the man was. We don't know how to contact him, but what we can do for you is give you the name and address of our agent who spoke to him. And maybe by contacting right. her, you can get some information about the guy she met. So they, they the blow two guys it, are right? like The Russians burn yeah, Sonia. Which is kind of interesting. Um, but I guess, you know, they know that they have, their, their, their game is up. But yeah, they're like the two guys who were in the meeting was like, hey, actually, the embassy did, did speak to someone I heard, yeah. you know. On a rumor like that, I wonder I if I, I like that scene. Do you think the Russian president is playing a game there for plausible deniability? Or, oh, for sure. well, here's the other thing or does it show that he's pretty weak? Because some of these countries where you have to be a strong man, if something like that gets out, that information like that was at the lower levels or in your intelligence service and no one brought it to you as president, like that can undermine all of your legitimacy in a, in some of these, you know, um, dictatorships. So I'm kind of like, do you think that's a hint that the Russian president is not very comfortable in his position? The fact that his intelligence service and his diplomatic networks are keeping things that big from him and making decisions without him. Cause that could, that could be a plot line in the future. You know, if Utkin sticks around or not. True. I, I just read it as that it was deniability. Plausible deniability. Uh, Uk Ukin was, was obviously, has a past, you know, with rap and, and the president. So, yeah. like, oh, I knew nothing. As, as far I, knew as nothing. I mean, exactly. I mean, you saw Ukin was like, we're not doing anything, yeah. obviously. Yeah. We're going to try to position ourselves. We know, passed on but... the information. It's not like we wanted to hurt you. So we're yeah. kind of innocent here. 
Well, do you think? Do you think we can do it? Do you think the president of the United States has the authority or the ability, I should say, does the United States government have the ability to literally flip a switch and turn off the power in a foreign city? Like cut the government to the Kremlin and all of Moscow. Uh, cut the power, excuse me, to the Kremlin. Like, can we do that with a flip of a switch? Uh, do we have someone like Marcus Duman, like a real life Marcus Duman? If we do, I, I, yeah, I think we could. I mean, we probably have some hacker. You know, we employ hackers, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, in the situation, I'm sure everybody, because America's down, I'm sure like everything, like there's a lot of chaos in other, you know, in in the internet of other countries. Yeah. So, well, it means they everything can, is probably weak. If we can, it means they can. You know, like, does that mean True. another foreign government has has the ability to do that to us? That's a good question. I think so. I think the answer is yes, right? It's like, a, it's a, it's like nukes. It's like a mutually exactly. assured, assured destruction. Exactly. And it's no all one's going to do it. Fringe hackers out. Yeah. Trying to do it themselves. Yeah. This book, if you yeah. think about it, it's it, it's the attack by Alton is cybersecurity. But you can equally have a thriller that's all cyber-based, right? About hacking and financial networks and government systems. You know, not just the cheap, like, I'm going to get your nuclear codes kind of plot line. But imagine a plot like Total Power where it's 100% hackers. Like, instead of John Alton, it's like anonymous. That would make a good thriller, no? Yeah. Well, I mean, that was kind of like the plot of uh, Deception the movie Point. Well, there's deception also that point? deception point that one of the Dan Brown books, and it's kind of outdated oh, now. But that was like the NSA one. Remember that, like the NSA, NSA supercomputer starts the supercomputer. Ex- yeah, the AI and the supercomputer. I mean, Dan Brown I mean, was that writing was that like what? way early. He wrote 90s, that in like early 2000s, 90s. I think 99, 99. Yeah. I read that one. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was one of his better ones. Yeah, that was pretty good. It's it's outdated now, obviously. Oh yeah, like in the moment, it's pretty good. Yeah, I feel like something like that could be a good thriller in the in the strain of Total Power. But it's similar to, I don't know, like two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, or, uh, but on like a grander scale, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, that was fun. <laughs> that that was the Russian scene. All right. So we quickly cut to Alton in his bunker. The government is trying to get a hold of him. Janice Crane's trying to call him. He's not not answering. You can see that, you know, there's some tension starting to happen between him and Faisal. Uh, Faisal wants to connect with his men in the field, see if they were able to hit all their objectives. Obviously, this is way too risky. Um, yeah, and so at the very end of the scene, the guy, the the construction worker who built, you know, parts of the the house for him, comes back and is like. You know, he starts talking out loud, like, I know that you're down there because that didn't look like just a normal foundation or whatever. Um, and so this plays a, you know, a plot later. We quickly cut back to Sonia, um, or first rap, taking a chopper. He's fi- he's found out, you know, who this Russian mole is uh, living in D.C. And he's dropped off by Fred Mason in the middle of D.C. And I like the scene where, like, it's... You're, this is one of my favorite parts of the book or one of the favorite things I liked about the book, but this whole apocalyptic theme in this genre really takes off now. Walking through 
DC, he said he describes it feeling like a war zone. And um, at the same time, we cut. We, we're we're going to go through these chapters where we're cutting back and forth between Rap and Sonia. And, and so Sonia gets attacked in her house. Literally, she is you know peering out the window, and which she's had to like drape to try to block out, you know, any sort of if she had any light or fire to get out. But finally, these men like come knock on her door. She has to run. She gets away. At the same time, we have Rap who's walking through DC. Here's these gunshots that these men are firing. And he's like, of course, they're in the spot where I need to be. So Rap encounters these men, takes them out in quick succession, and is on now on the run for Sonia. He realizes that he's not going to be able to find her. He calls up Irene and is like, listen, is there any way we can do this? And Ultimately, they decide like the Russians can turn on the the, the cell phone in order to find them, and we're going to catch up to it in, in a second. So we jump back to Alton at the bunker, and we see how gruesome you know the people he's gotten in bed with can be. He decides like we need to take out this family. He sends them up. Uh, they take them out. They bury them, and he realizes like what I think you know it starts to click like who did I actually get into bed with here? Like, this is again, loss of control. Um, he's like, I, I need these men, but do I really need them? Should I get rid of them quickly? Because these are not people that I really want to be messing with. Why did I actually bring them into my, into my small little circle? He changes their objective too, from like, you were going to help me hit these substations. You've done that. If the next five or six of you hit the substations, whatever the attacks basically done. And he's like, look, how about your mission is to get me to Mexico and help me get to my house, get out of the country. And if you can take me to the border, we'll call it square. I gave you the plans. You got your attack. Then you helped me. You got me out. And he's realizing he's going to need that insurance policy, the heart rate monitor uh, for the rest of the time that he's with these ISIS guys, because it's pretty gruesome how they, they murder this family and hide them and everything. And, um, yeah, he's like, I'm changing the game. I don't care about how many more substations you hit. Get me to Mexico. That's our job. So, again, cutting back to Sonia on the run, she escaped one gang of men and is now encountered by another gang of men. And so this apocalyptic, I'm just envisioning, like, you know, Dawn of the Dead, The Walking Dead, any sort of, you know, 28 days later, just instead of zombies, it's like the power's out and you got people, like, trying to scavenge for, for resources. I guess this will be, like, early on in the in the zombie apocalypse, right? Yeah, even that scene of so, like she goes into like a broken, she goes through like a broken storefront and she's moving furniture and trying to find a place to hide, and that random family, right? She notices, I think it's like a, like a a dresser or something out of place, and it looks like it can right. slide, and it has a rope tied to it, and like goes under a door or something, and she eventually realizes there's a hiding spot back here, and then you pull the and yep, you pull the yep. string and it closes the like drawer in front of the wall so no one sees the door. And and then there, there's an Asian family waiting, and a man swings, I think, a two-by-four at her and misses, and she's like, it's okay. And basically, the, it's kind of a nice moment where Sonia and this family hiding out like for their life realize there's a common bond between them. And I like this quote of – this is maybe one of my favorites in the book. She barricades herself in with the family, and then Kyle writes, quote, Neither spoke much English, but that didn't seem to be much of a barrier to understanding. It turned out the international language wasn't love. 
it was fear. That's what binds them together. Fear, you know, this family hiding out and Sonya on the run. Uh, that's totally true. Like, so eventually, we get a sort of like off-scene killing of of the men who are chasing her by rap. Essentially, you know, she hears some gunshots, toot toot toot, and what was that sound? He knocks on the. <laughs> oh, that's my silencer. Um, oh, in- I was like, you didn't go with the pew pew. You went with the choo choo. I was that was my attempt of uh, of doing a silencer. That was pretty so, good. Sorry, pretty good. Uh, thanks, thanks. You're like a foley artist. Um, <laughs> you know those foley artists who make the sounds for movies. <laughs> Screw you. Uh, <laughs> he knocks on the door and is like, "Sonia, open up." And we that was me knocking on the door. Uh, <laughs> you're so funny. You are so funny. It's not as good as your silencer. <laughs> You're so funny. What does Sonya's uh, phone sound like when the Russians hang it? (laughs) (laughs) You're an ass. You can put that in the the end credits. Oh, no, that's staying in. (laughs) Anyways, off scene, we get Rap taking out the men who are chasing Sonya and... He knocks on the door and says, you know, open up. You know, so he's res- she's rescued by Rap and Coleman. And we get this nice little introduction between, which I think is going to be this burgeoning romance. You know, I'm, I'm going to ship hard uh, Coleman and Sonia. And hopefully she, she comes back in, in, later no- hopefully, in later novels. Hopefully some foreshadowing here. Yes. And so it, they say, she turned her face away from the gale and saw a man standing against a wall 10 feet away. He was wearing black fatigues with a balaclava covering most of his face and a compact assault rifle in his hands. As he fell in behind her, they locked eyes for a moment. His eyes were deep blue and unexpectedly beautiful. So we know, blue eyes, Scott Coleman, our blonde-haired assassin. Yeah, I was actually expecting blonde hair to be in that line. His eyes were deep blue, his hair was... And blonde, and his hair was blonde. And then immediately right after this, we get this nice little scene that, that, you know, there's, there's, you start to hear shooting and Mitch is just like Scott. And then there's a single crack of a shot and Scott takes the guy out. So I like that. Yeah. Raps just walking with Sonia, like guiding her onto the helo. Doesn't even turn towards the guy. Just goes, Scott. And that's it. Drops. Scott drops the dude behind him <laughs> while they're getting shot at. That's good. So we get this beginning of a hopefully burgeoning romance between the two. And it's kind of crazy, but I don't. We didn't even get to my favorite scene yet. So I think when we get there, we're gonna we're gonna see more about how Sonya fits in. Let's put it that way. Fits yes. in with uh, Scott, Mitch, and the crew. But that's coming soon. We in the meantime, like we said, we there's a couple of scenes of Alton in his bunker. You know, charging his heart rate monitors. Faisal Ibrahim, the ISIS guys are like they're getting restless. They want to go t- attack the other uh, substations and keep the grid down. And, of course, who are they listening to on the radio? Our Jed friend, Jones. Jed Jones. And this is where he cracks. Yeah. He loses it and just says, enough is enough. He calls out the government and says, if you guys care, if you're doing anything, you have to reassure the American people now. And since I am the biggest voice addressing the public in this country, not even the president, I need the director of FEMA, T.J. Burton, who's supposedly the one leading the quote response 
I need him on my show. The American people deserve to hear from him. And he challenges him. Is he too chicken, too scared, has nothing to say? And if that's the case, the American people know they're screwed. Not even the top right. guy in charge of natural disaster or uh, disaster response is willing to talk, you know, and come come out publicly. So I think that's that's the, the whole him cracking is going to play a role later on briefly, but it will play a role in, in this idea that the president can't have that happening. And this one guy and actually they're going to use it to their advantage. So, you know, luckily Jed doesn't doesn't get killed. But you can imagine that this sort of person would be a prime target for the government if they could mount some sort of assault to take out because they don't want this mass dissidence being spread. So they need yeah. that person on their side. Although, do you mind if I if I read a quote from Jed? Just it kind of um, summarizes what's happening. Like we haven't talked about much what's on the ground happening across America, and Jed yeah, is Jed is really the only one relaying this to the American people. So during one of his broadcasts, he says, "Quote: I've been doing a lot of thinking, but I'm not sure what conclusions I've come to. None good. That I can tell you." The power went out 10 days ago, and I don't have any reliable reports of the government having fixed anything. As far as I can tell, basically the lights are on in a few military outposts, a couple of ports, and some off-grid hippie communes. That's it. If you want to know where we're headed, you don't have to look further than New Orleans. Their water's completely out, and the place is in the process of melting down. Based on reports I'm getting from people on the ground, the military's in full retreat. They don't even have the manpower. They don't have a supply chain, and even worse, they don't have a plan. In a week, I'm not sure there's going to be a New Orleans. And in two, I'm not sure there's going to be a New York, or LA, or Chicago. Well, you get my point. I don't think this is temporary anymore. I think the power is going to be out for months, maybe longer. So a lot of the advice I've been giving you is bullshit. I'm sorry for that. I truly am. I wish I had some new speeches to make or relevant podcasts I could dig up and tell you how to survive, but I don't. The government's basically telling you to stay in the cities, and that makes sense, if they can provide food, water, and security. But what if they can't? The answer is I don't know. If you're one of the hundreds of millions of people living in a city, do you try to get out? Do you need to think about that? Three months down the road, if the power's still out, will you be alive? If you do try to get out of the city, are you even capable of it? And if you're capable of it, where are you going to go? Because you don't want to end up standing in the middle of a rural highway getting snowed on. That's not an improvement. So where am I going with this? Simple. I want someone in the government who's smart enough to find his ass with both hands to contact me. And let me tell you who that person is. TJ Burton of FEMA. Everyone says he's a solid guy who gives a shit. You hear me, TJ? People are saying I have the biggest audience in the country right now. So why don't you cowboy up and come on my show? Tell the people who pay your salary what the hell's going on and what you're doing about it. They deserve to know. And droning on about how they should stay calm and stay put isn't cutting it anymore. And let's be clear here. We all know people from the government are listening. So if you don't come on, everybody out there is going to know you got nothing. That we're on our own to survive. The gauntlet's been thrown. Let's see what happens. You know, reading that back to me, it really, one of the things that I took for granted from this book, or, or I don't know if took, took for granted is the right term, but didn't appreciate with, in terms of 
having power or how rapidly things happen in this book. The time scale of going from power off to total chaos is rapid fast. And you know, I don't know if that if that's a dramatization or if that's actually how it would happen. I think early on when we were talking about this about this book, you know, we discuss I asked you like, would this really happen that fast? I don't know. But, you know, it, it plays well to this whole idea of the apocalyptic genre that he's that Kyle is trying to encompass in this portion of the book. And yeah, while we don't get a lot from besides, you know, Mitch going into the city and Sonia's perspective in terms and obviously the the president bunkers like understanding what's going on, like Jed is the voice of what is actually happening. And we really get a perspective of what could happen if this attack did happen. So that, that was nice to like, you know, really understand the impact of this attack through him. Yeah. And he, you know, it's like me telling you how to save your, you know, collect your urine and, and, and or, you know, make a fire is not going to save you if the power is going to be really out this long, you yeah. know? Yeah. And Jed becomes almost this like narrator for us, the reader. He's narrating the wider picture of what's happening across America, which is kind of cool because, you know, the story itself can only give you these snippets and these scenes, you know, Mitch in D.C. with the lights out or Mitch driving to the bunker in West Virginia, or now we're going to see the house in Manassas. Again, this book felt very East Coast to me in terms of where the setting was, but Jed Jones' narration of the country crumbling gave it this national uh, feel. And so as a reader, I, I liked his role in, in doing that because the action was pretty central just to really three or four main locations where the story took place. Yet the scope of it was so much grander, thanks to uh, quotes like that Jed. that we just heard from Jed. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's get to your favorite scene. Yes. And, and the scene that I really liked. But so we cut back to, you know, Sonia's at Scott's house. Uh, she gets showered up, dressed, puts on some of Claudia's clothes. And uh, yeah, Scott gives her some advice before, uh, before rap, rap arrives. Because rap's coming. Um, and Scott's trying to let her know rap interrogations aren't the, you know, the warm and fuzzy feeling, you know, you don't know what to expect when rap starts asking and you questions. I liked how Scott, you know, he didn't underestimate her. He's like, you know, you've probably been taught how to lies and deception. He, he fully embraced her as a Russian mole um, and was like, listen, this is not the time to play your games. Be honest, because if you're not, and be, be concise, don't give wordy answers, and be honest. So, I like Scott's specific advice to her about once right. rap starts asking questions. Yeah, Scott specifically says, you know, don't get long-winded or start trying to answer questions he hasn't asked you. Right now, he thinks you as a Russian operative who was following orders. He doesn't have a personal problem with you. Don't give him a reason to develop one. This isn't a good cop, bad cop. It's bad cop and worse cop. So I'm guessing uh, Scott is the bad cop and Mitch is the worst cop. It's about that's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, the bad cop wants to keep the Russian mole, though. <laughs> I don't know about you, but Rap's entrance here is freaking classic. He busts into the room, goes right for the food in the kitchen, makes himself a plate, pours wine into a water glass, finishes the food. Yeah, and he just eats the whole plate, staring at her. 
She watches him eat. <laughs> In less than a minute, he scarfs down the food, finishes wine out of a water glass, goes back for more. And while he's getting more, asks her, what's Russia's involvement in this? <laughs> and then, then she, she gives him like, none. And then his second question, is there beer in the fridge? <laughs> I just, oh man, I just love it. And so I could just see him like drinking a a pint of wine, downing it and, and being looking at it and be like. And eating a whole plate of pasta. <laughs> you, you got any beer? <laughs> oh, I love it. And then at the very end of this, you know, like it's, you know, she's honest, very concise. Yes. And she's yes. like, but the only thing I was able to get was this, this hard drive, you know, and I could just see their faces in my mind of being like, you have what? Excuse me. <laughs> yep. A hard uh, drive from it? Alton's computer. <laughs> is it back in DC? Like in their mind, is it back in DC? Oh shit. I just left there. Like, like no, it's up. It's upstairs in my room. <laughs> I love how we don't get a description of their reaction because it's so clear. We know exactly what Rap and Skull, uh, Coleman's faces look like. Instead, Kyle ends the chapter with her saying, "You know, it's an Apple device, and Apple encryption is no joke. I don't know if you can get anything off of it." <laughs> and I'm just like, I could see the two looking like if this were a movie. Instead of cutting chapter and ending scene, you have Coleman and Rap face each other and just at the same mm-hmm. time go, Marcus. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Definitely like looking at each other. And... and then it just cuts scenes to like Marcus Dumont tapping away on a computer in like a dimly lit dungeon somewhere in the bunker. <laughs> so how did you feel about Scott? In the next chapter, we get Scott's like true feelings as bad cop. So... How about we do a little little exercise where we role play and uh, we're going to play the scene where Scott and Rap interact after talking to Sonia. I think we, we got to flip a coin for who gets Rap. All right. All right. All right. Flip, flip a coin. All right, I'm flipping a post-it note because that's what I have. Um, Sick. All right. Chris on one side, Mike on the other, whose never name is face up gets to pick. Coleman or Rap? Chris, your choice. All right. Coleman. What? You're not going Rap? I like Scott. All right. I like Scott, too. And, but... he, and he gets the girl. All right. In this case. All right. All right. <laughs> I thought you'd be the family man. You know, Mitch raising Anna. and uh, I want to rap. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I want to rap. I want to rap. How do you not? Anyway, right, you're Scott. Quick. All right. I love how Scott opens this scene. <laughs> First words. I think I'm going to keep her. <laughs> She's not a pet, Scott. She's a Russian bull. Come on, Mitch. Throw her back. Fill her backpack with some provisions and tell her to hit the road. She'd die out there. Better than waking up one day with your throat slit. What can I say? I like hot, dangerous women. And don't you pretend. Don't you? Between Claudia, Donatella, it's a miracle you're still breathing. It's your jugular. You do what you want. (laughs) And I think Scott's pretty successful in convincing Mitch to uh, keep Sonya around. She's going to be useful. Really hope that... uh... We don't see much more of her, but I really hope that she makes an appearance in the, in the books to come. Right. But yeah, I, I like this little scene where Kennedy arrives at the house and Mitch, you know, m- they have such a good relationship with each other. Mitch knows that she she's just going to want a small little glass of wine and have a meal and not, not doesn't pour her like this giant, which I would want this is a giant glass of wine in this situation. And they have Marcus. And I love the scene where Marcus has this one line, you know, literally rap is like going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then at the very end, Marcus is like, yeah, I was only able to get everything off of it. And I already sent it to all of our analysts. 
Kennedy's like, I'm pretty sure Marcus was practicing all day to say that to you. <laughs> and he's like, well, not all day, but a while. <laughs> he's working on it a little bit, a little bit here and there. And Raph's like, how did you get it? Like, Apple's, you know. And of course, I love how he puts in the CEO helped out now that he's losing all of his money in, in tech stocks. So The CEO of Apple just happened to remember through all their arguments with the government about encryption and data privacy, he just happened to remember, oh, there is a workaround. We did there put is. a backdoor into Apple devices where we can get your data. Oh, we didn't realize that. It only took a national emergency where 300 million Americans will perish in a year for us to tell the government, you know what, we can unlock Apple devices of private citizens. You're telling me <laughs> you don't know my four-digit passcode? Come That's on, a lie. No. That's bull. <laughs> I like Marcus's line also. He's like, there's real food here or something like that. <laughs> yeah, what are they eating? They're eating like like lamb, lamb something. Oh, they oh, got everything. It sounded so good. Claudia, some nice French food. I think that's what I liked about the, the scene was amidst all this chaos, Kyle took a moment to bring the crew together at home in their digs and just, it was everybody, right? It was Claudia, it was Scott, it was Mitch. It was Marcus, um, uh, Anna somewhere, you know, is off. Tommy comes up. I think someone asked how he's doing, asked Kennedy. I don't think he's there. Are the kids playing? Mitch Mitch says you can bring him here. But Mitch says you can can bring bring him if you want. And and then even, I think it's Kennedy, somebody thinks to bring some hot food out to all of the drivers, you know, out on the street who brought them in. And he's like, I bet those guys want a hot meal. They've probably been, you know, working nonstop. And it's just... It's like you 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 see the inner workings of the intelligence agency, and I can just imagine like special operators doing this with their families, either after or before a mission. It was just kind of this cordial get together and missed all the chaos. I love like we don't get a Christmas scene, right? This is this well, is this is happening Christmas during scene. Christmas time, right? And yeah. so this is a this is a Christmas scene. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad Kyle took the time to get away from the craziness and put all of our characters together in a comfortable, cozy environment, and they welcome Sonya into it with a little uh, humor right beforehand. Right. So. I think it's it's a couple of days after Christmas, because we're probably like eight, because the oh, attack happened days. on Christmas morning. Yeah, it's ten days so since it's like the at account. least eight or ten yeah. days since the account. It's, but yeah, no, it's just it's, into it's, the new year. Yeah. It's a stand-in for, you know, a Christmas morning thing. But yeah, no, it, it, again, it as I was saying before, these, these bunker scenes really show Mitch's humanity and... Yeah. It's, it's nice to see that, you know, in, in this character. It really adds to his character development. So. It adds, this scene adds something to the story as well. And our theme, Know Thy Enemy. You know, Kennedy's sitting there with just the right amount of wine that she likes. And at one point she kind of, you know, looks out. I can see her like in a daze if this were a movie. And she just kind of starts spitballing like who she thinks John Alton is. Trying to get a read or a persona or a psychological profile of this guy. And she ends up nailing it. You know, they're talking about what do we do next? And she says, you know, basically, Alton's socially isolated, feels no compassion for others, and has extremely powerful delusions of superiority. He feels that he hasn't gotten his due from society, from women, from his employers. And now he's looking to make everyone pay. And I just feel like Kennedy's ability to understand and start thinking like Alton is going to be part of how they get the upper hand. And then know the enemy, like Kennedy says that, and rap cuts in with, so he's a brilliant psychopath who's probably doing tequila shots at his beach house in Mexico right now. Rap got it. They know him. He wants to get to Mexico and escape to his beach yeah. house. And that's 
going to help them plan their next move, knowing he's going to be on his way to the southern border, having ISIS uh, as his bodyguards. So know thy enemy. It's like by chilling, relaxing, and spending this holiday together, the team is able to refocus and do what they do best, get a step ahead and think inside the minds of the villains. Next, we progress to wrap is it's a couple days later. Um, things have gotten even more out of control and rap is on his way back to the bunker, but Irene calls him midway and he's like, you're, we found, we, we know that Alton bought this property. You're the closest person to it. You should go check it out. And rap is happy about this because he's almost positive that the meeting he's going to take with the president is to potentially go out to Idaho and take out Jed Jones because of all the stuff he's saying on, um, on his podcast or on, you know, that's the government doesn't want to say. And we get rap examining this uh, area. And it's kind of cool because we get back to one of the good things I liked about um, the third option in we really see rap as a spy here. He's able to manipulate his ability, you know, his appearance. And he doesn't just walk around like an operator of this area. He you know, changes his posture, changes his gait, tries to look like, you know, just some hobo who's walking around rummaging. And while he's doing that, he's able to find, oh, there's this apartment that was never touched. Oh, there's this truck, but it doesn't, has not full of fuel and looks like another, every other military truck that is rolling down the road now, which is like, it's, it's nice foreshadowing for later because obviously that's what Alton was going for. You know, he doesn't find anything. Uh, and then the FBI roll up, and he's like, all right, you guys got this? I'm good. I'm going to go. And finally, on his way back, he gets trapped by these two trees and uh, just a, your regular old family. Obviously, like this is, shows how dire the situation has gone. This father and son, who normally would use their guns to kill deer or moose, you know, are cutting down trees to try to trap people. And he does a nice thing. He gives them all of his stuff, except for he's like, and the the son's like, oh, maybe does the car have a battery? We could use that. And Rap's like, I'm going to need that. You're not getting that. <laughs> and he's worried about Claudia having to deal with telling her uh, True. You know, he gave away the Tesla. <laughs> exactly. No, not happening. Exactly. Where he got a scratch on the Tesla. Not explaining that to Claudia. Yeah, the family just cut down a tree to cut him off. And then when he backs up, they cut a tree behind him. And it's like all that just to see if a random dude driving down the street has stuff you can take from him like whew, america's in a bad, bad place stuff yeah. stuff's got real bad they're desperate yeah. i think the the family even says like hey we got to take care of my wife and like his younger uh, sister like we who, who, sorry dude but we got to take your stuff and raps like yeah i get it that's fine yep but right so we cut back to the fbi who has now, you know, they brought their A game. They find these pretty cool solar panels on a rock, which I kind of want myself. Um, and this causes Alton to freak out because he realizes that these people are not, you know, they're, they're going to find him. And this leads to a huge altercation with ISIS and ISIS ends up killing the entire FBI team. And then this sets, you know, pretty much the rest of the book in, in motion. We get Alton now, on the has run. planned for this on the run. Um, 
he had planned to go on the run, but not this quickly. You're thinking again, loss of control. He was going to hide yeah. out in the bunker uh, until the whole thing passes, and he can easily get out to Mexico because he puts stashes, or like different caches, along the route of fuel and supplies that he could just pick up and make it clean to Mexico once everyone's dead. But right, he's got to hurry it up now. The FBI is onto him. Yep. And then, so he leaves, and he has this whole route, and then Rap goes back and sees that oh he left and this is so now like they, they they're starting to understand who this guy is you know the know thy enemy like he had this plan they they sort of realize what they're going to do they they go to the bunker they get information from the bunker see that he has other men with him and this all leads to you know really rap being able to institute his final trap at the end of the book to hopefully capture Alton before we get to the, you know, final capture at the substation. So ISIS, ISIS has their own plan. Alton's on the run and rap has already figured out he's trying to get South to Mexico because he has a house on the beach and he, he'll want to get there. And now with the FBI team taken out, they know they're on the move and they know the truck they're looking for and the chase is on. And this kind of begins the action that will will follow through nonstop until the very end of the book. Rap puts in, or the CIA puts it, uh, in a plan that is kind of risky, but there's a big payoff if it works. And another theme for the book that I, I considered pitching to you, Chris, was thinking outside the box. There's a few times where Rap even says, no chance in hell this is going to work. You know, we see in this book compared to others, Rap doubting himself a whole lot more. This is one of those, yeah, this is one of those last stand plans, which is all or nothing. And we actually believe Rap is on the nothing side. Like he, he thinks this might completely not work and they got nothing left to do. But the idea is they take Jed Jones and it's a pretty cool mission out in the woods, deep into Idaho. They have an outdoor bathroom and latrine, right? So no indoor plumbing. They're totally self-sufficient out in this cabin where, where Jed Jones, the podcaster, lives. Well, when his wife and daughter are on their way out to the outhouse, Coleman grabs the daughter and Rap grabs the wife. And Rap disguises himself in the wife's clothes. And the reason for that is they don't want to spook Jed. And they go back into the house and he's like, oh, hey, honey, welcome back. And it's Rap in her clothes. And Rap's like, yeah, not your wife, not honey. And uh, Jed's like, I like that. Uh, yeah. Jed's like, I'm making hash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and no one answers. He's like, Wait, no one likes hash. Like, what's up? Like, <laughs> although I'm surprised, Rap doesn't just start eating it right there, right and out I of the cast like, iron. <laughs> I would have said like, yeah, give me two eggs on top of my hat. You know, like I would have pulled some quippy thing about like yep. giving me more food or something like that. Rap still has that spoon, no? Oh yeah. <laughs> Rap could pull out the spoon and just start eating right out of the cast iron as Jed's looking at him with his jaw on the floor. No, but this this is where Jed's like, the game's up. The government's here to silence me. Are you one of those, you know, spooks who doesn't like free speech and just wants people like me to stop bad-mouthing the government? Get it over with. And Rap's like, now nah, you're going to play a pretty central role in this thing, you know, if this pans out. So here's what he pitches Jed. You go on the radio... And you put out some false information that the government actually is getting 
huge parts of the Southwest back online, particularly parts of Texas. Well, actually more of like the Gulf Coast area, getting them back online. And they choose a substation in eastern Texas that Alton knows if that substation gets up and running, that's a decent part of the grid that you can bring power back to the region in a timely manner. Well, thinking of Know Thy Enemy, if the country starts believing that's up and running, RAP knows ISIS. ISIS wants maximum damage, maximum carnage. And RAP understands their zealousness and wants to use it against them. If they think a big part of the country's grid is up and running, he knows they'll convince Alton to go attack it. And so the plan is, Alton wants to get to Mexico. ISIS wants to keep the grid down. We can force them to get to the substation in Texas by thinking it's about to start working again. And so Jed goes on the podcast and tells America, the government reached out to me. TJ and FEMA are getting the job done, and we have one part of the country that's ready to come back up and online in the in the coming days. And Jed's torn because he knows by saying that, one, he's giving a false hope, but you're also condemning thousands of Americans to their death. Thousands of people will converge on this area, leading to massive riots, fights, and everything, and it's all fake. Texas is not really going to be up and running. But know thy enemy, it works. It gets ISIS to tell Alton, we don't care about you getting to Mexico. We'll drop you off, but we're going to hit this substation. And if you say this is the one that we have to take down, we're going to go hit it. And uh, Rap was right. He knows they're uh, extremists and not going to stop for anything. But the one thing that ISIS has to overcome is these uh, heart rate monitors. And in order to do that, they sort of kill two birds with one stone by, one, they need to change up their vehicle. They take out a Red Cross truck. I kind of like that scene. It's a yeah. short little scene, but they do it with such efficiency, and they get everything off the road. Um, you know, these guys are like, you know, they're proficient. Um, but in that Red Cross truck is drugs, and Alton is incapacitated. He's put unconscious, and he wakes up, and he realizes that and he wakes up, he, he sees, like, uh, Faisal taking out this old man in, in this random house. And, and then Faisal comes back and is like, you know, you messed up. You said that there's a there's a high, you know, if your heart rate gets too high, it'll be triggered. If your heart rate hits zero, it gets triggered. Well, you know what? We're going to keep it right in the middle by keeping you sedated and, until, like, you know, six months and not feed you. And then finally, once everything's gone, we don't care. Like there won't be anybody for you to send your signal to. So finally, this you know all culminates with Rap setting up a nice trap at the Bryan uh, substation in Texas. Uh, the cool little I, I would kind of like to see the car trap. There's like the netting that gets like to. Mm. I, I was trying to picture that in my head. I would like to see that put out on camera. But yeah, like these guys came bloated. They obviously had set it up as a, you know, one was wearing a suicide bomb, and then obviously the truck was also a car bomb. They kind of, as Rap's getting, in, in a lot of these novels where Rap is sort of thinking, you can you can always see the wheels ticking, and we're getting his inner dialogue in his head. It's like, why, why, why do they have this many cans? And then it dawns on him, oh, this is a car bomb. Obviously, he's dealing with, they're here for us. This is ISIS I'm dealing with. Why do they have those cans? 
And so he risked his life to, you know, he even said, he yeah. even told all of his men, your lives don't mean anything right now. The lives of these people we're trying to take, they mean more than you because we need their information. Yeah. You know, like, don't shoot to kill. Take a bullet. Like, body armor. Mass even, body armor. Body, full body armor. Maz even, like, almost dies trying to get yeah. the guy who was wearing a suicide vest. But ultimately, he gets Faisal. And... Well, Rap, I think, has to pull him through the windshield, right? Like, yes. as the thing's exploding, yes. Rap grabs him with his armor through the windshield. So with the explosion, it'll actually be pushed away. Um, and the body armor can protect the both of them. It's pretty crazy. We get this nice little scene with Rap and a doctor. And I think he's wearing, he's wearing cowboy boots or something. He wakes up after being knocked out by the explosion of the car in the hospital puts on some cowboy boots, goes over to the room of Faisal and starts, just literally starts torturing him uh, with the doctor in the room. The doctor's like, yeah, I'm not comfortable doing this. And I forget what exactly Rap says to the doctor. But then at the end, he's like, yeah, you're going to want to clear your rest of your day. Uh, yep. You're staying here with us. Yep. Because they have to make sure Faisal is lucid enough to tell them where Power Station is. Exactly. But they want exactly. to torture him to get the information. The doctor's like, you can't do that. You're going to kill him. Yep. And they need the doctor to keep him alive, but also torture him just enough. Yeah, and so eventually they get what they're looking for. The terrorist leads them to some house in Louisiana, Mississippi. They're, they're going through that area. And the terrorist takes them and, and raps thinking, whoever's guarding Alton, if he's on to us, or Alton himself, he might just kill himself and knowing ISIS, they'll take out Alton and themselves in an attack and the game's up. You know, we, we don't get the information we need to get the grid back up and running. And so this is going to be that kind of dramatic closing of you need to get into the house, but if you do it and it's booby trapped and there's a suicide vest, we lose them. And so rap, uh, they kind of concoct this slightly off colored plan to have these two women uh, knock on the door and just feign these innocent, um, hey, we're, we're passing through the area. Do you have some food or a place we can stay just for a night as we try to get to Texas? We hear the power's coming back. And they're playing this like, they're, they're, they're like prostitutes or these like scantily clad women. And once again, with Know Thy Enemy, I, it's kind of weird, but I guess the point is rap knows these, you know, um, extremist Islamic men claim to be holier than thou with you know wanting to be pure and and everything but secretly you know they're trash and right secretly he's like he's gonna want these women and he's gonna take them and he's gonna let them in and let his guard down um right. and so he's trying to play off the isis weakness of these radicals not knowing what to do when sex is you know in your face you know staring you in the front door of you can have these these two women but secretly they contracted, was she a ranger? One of the ladies Rap knew from the special operations community. She was a special, yeah, she was a, She was in the. I think she was an army ranger, if I'm not mistaken. She's also the badass at, on the airplane with the with the ring who punches yeah. Hamal. Well, Rap uses her knowing she's pretty good. And they have a, a working professional relationship where Rap feels comfortable bringing her in. And so her and this model uh, walk up to the door, knock. And the the terrorist is giving them nothing. He go away, get out of here. Points a gun at them, and says, "You gotta go." Well, it's at this point, Rap comes storming in, 
diffuses the situation, takes control, and guess who's sitting in one of the other rooms? Power station. He's drugged, and uh, Rap says, we got to figure this out. And they look at the heart rate monitors, and he's like, bring in Marcus. You, you know what's really interesting about this, right, is that all they had to do was kill him. But they That's didn't the know oxymoron that. here. That, they I know, know they didn't know that. They didn't know that. Like literally, all you have to do is kill them, and your problems are solved. You know, yeah, because the heart rate monitor will give up the goods. It'll trigger the information yeah. of how to fix yeah. the grid. It'll, you know, well, that's again thinking about know the enemy is rap starts putting this together, and it's a gamble because rap thinks why would Alton hook himself up to a heart rate monitor? That could launch an attack. And Alton, he's trying to smooth talk him. Once they get yeah, Alton. Yeah, when they wake him up. They wake yeah. him up. The drugs wear off. He's trying to be a smooth talker. He's like. He's oh, very calculating. Yeah. The ISIS took me. I don't know what they were doing with me. I don't know why they needed me. Uh, this is crazy. Thank you for saving me. I want to help the country. And Rap's not really having any of it. But he, he's giving him a little bit. He's keeping playing him on a leash. He's playing along. Until Rap goes, yeah, so what are these uh, watches you're wearing? And Alton's like, I don't know. The terrorists just put it on me. And Rap goes, well, that's funny because the doctor said the way your skin's uh, worn away, you've been wearing these for quite a long time, at least a couple months. of days or months. Yeah. And Alton's like, what? What? And and he starts cracking. And eventually Alton starts going, I'll work with you. Get me a pardon. He goes, I'll give you what you want, but I want assurances. And Rap's like, yeah, we're not playing that game. And Rap turns to Marcus and goes, Marcus. What do these devices do? And Marcus is like, well, I don't know what they do, but if we cover them, I think it was in lead, right? They were going to encase them in lead. He so, knows that they attach to like a receiver that will send something. He's imagining, you know, like secondary you know, attack. It, you know, it, it could be, you know, most likely it's a secondary attacker. But then rep, rep again, like knowing the enemy, he's like, what is there to secondary attack? It's done. And then immediately, I think Alton then goes, says something about nukes. Yep. And it's like, oh, if you if you it's going to launch the off, nukes, it's going to launch the nukes. And Raps like, then, you would have done it, right? Like ISIS was exactly. with you. ISIS wanted the worst attack possible. There's no reason if this was going to launch another attack, the ISIS guys would have just done it. They would have killed you. The heart rate monitor would have killed you. Off. So he turns to Marcus and he goes, "This was an insurance policy. These heart rate monitors were actually how to stop the attack." No, in that moment. He never admits that he understands like what they are, but he he admits that he knows he understands the enemy and understands that you know what we have to do this take the gamble and he starts to uh, jam a knife into his fingernail to raise his because Marcus knows that there's two alarms there's a high and a low so he's like oh let's hit the high and Marcus is like you know you just take them off and it reads zero and and <laughs> Mitch is like yeah that's not that fun <laughs> yeah. And he sticks that. I think he went with a piece of wood under the nail, knowing piece how that hurts wood. a lot more yes. than a knife. Yes. And the yes. heart rate goes up, and Marcus says, "Mitch, you were right." Exactly. End of the book. The gamble paid off. We cut to the final epilogue, where things are kind of calm. We don't get much description of post turn power back on, um, but we do see Rap in Idaho, back with Jed. Jed is a little confused, you know, why what he's doing here until he opens up his Cadillac and sees John Alton in the back. Because Jed had asked, part of the stipulation of being a part of the plan was to be there 
when they, you know, killed the son of a bitch who, who did this plot. In the end, Jed is not super keen with the means of, they walk into the woods and, and Rap's literally going to shoot him right there in front of Jed. And he's like, yeah, this is not what I imagined. So Rap's like, all right, well. Well, Jed's like, the the deal was, I want to be there when they fry him. Thinking, you know, the death penalty and justice will be served. And I want a front row seat to watch the guy fry. Right. And Rap's like, yeah, that's not how the government works right now. He's going to get a different type of death penalty. Exactly. And Jed doesn't want any part of it. He says, I'm out. Yep. Walks away. And we end the book with uh, John Alton dying. And and Alton is still whining as he's being taken out of the trunk. I can still help you secure the grid. You know, you still <laughs> need me. And Rap's like, yeah, okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah, right. Tell it to the gods. Man, that was something. Hey, you know, I got a topic, though, before we get into our winners and losers and share yes. what we liked about the book and, and our review. I, I'm wondering, what's next for Raps America? Like, this changes the fabric of the universe, does it not? I mean, towards the end of the book, even Kyle puts in this little quote about what the state of the U.S. and global affairs is going to look like. He writes, quote, So where did this leave the country he'd spent his entire life bleeding for? Fucked. According to a group of economists that included two Nobel laureates, the U.S. would be down to the population of Peru in a year. The middle would empty out, with its surviving citizens huddled in cities near the coast. Scavenging would be the primary industry. So here's my question. How is Kyle going to deal with the fallout of a new U.S.? I mean, a whole new world order, if you will. This, The events in total power change the universe permanently, right? Like, will Americans ever come together? you know, and support the government and the military and operations anymore? Will Democrats and Republicans reach out across the aisle and try to put us on the path of healing? Does the blame game get worse, right? Like, does the unrest continue? Does the unrest in the riots get even worse? Like, if lethal agent and having a global pandemic, even our, our COVID pandemic, change the fabric of the U.S. long term, Kyle gets to write that and Kyle has three books at least where, you know, he's got to play that out. And so does Kyle wrap this up with a bow and kind of move on and go back to America and the American military and government and intelligence apparatuses back to normal, you know, or like new president, right? New administration is coming in. We know Alexander's out. How does he deal with this? What's next? No, that's one of the big things that I'm really interested in, in terms of like world building, because we, you know, as these books are standalone, you know, to their own right, there are tidbits that are woven into each one that are appreciated by people like us who read them as a series, Um, but you don't have to necessarily read them as a series, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how he picks up from this the attack actually happening the you know they yeah they were able to turn the power back on but like all the substations are freaking ruined right you know he overloaded all the substations so that stuff has to get power's not coming back on immediately uh so it would be really interesting to see how what the next step is in terms of this the world that rap is in does he does he even acknowledge it i, I hope he does I, I hope you know we see some sort of adjust and 
maybe the next villain is someone who's freaking jaded because of yeah because of this you yeah. know um or some politician who you know fought for this and and thinks that the world did them wrong i i, I don't know I, I, don't, I don't know what kyle's gonna do but yeah or you know some other country who's is in down in the dumps because america went down yeah. you know because their their economy is so heavily linked to our economy you know yeah well i like what you so. said about what about the future generations because we all know how extremists and fundamentalism is born it's out of tragedy and hardship right and loss like generations that grew up with a sizable population feeling isolated feeling hopeless they turn towards bad influences or they turn towards extremist thought and is that going to now will america a damaged america be the breeding grounds for that like kids who grew up in cities that were rude uh, rioting and looted and completely damaged and and kids who grew up hearing all of jed jones's rants right and their parents ranting and how the government screwed us and doesn't do anything for us and is that going to create the next wave of domestic extremist you know like what does that right. do to the psyche of young people who who are going to grow into this country what's their what's their idea of america right like it's going to be changed radically like i can never even imagine and kyle said he wants to tackle more internal domestic affairs right. in the next three books he wants a little arc that does track what's going on in the real america and play that out, you know, the the division in the politics, the contested elections, uh, uh, you know, unrest, the public unrest, and, you know, whether it's the racial divide he tackles, whether it's the political ideologic divide, who knows, but he is, he's got, he's got a tough road, but also one with a whole lot of creativity to be had. Yeah, no, definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to see how, it, or, or if the world building continues yeah. um, and we can, you know, get a good follow up to this book. Is it going to have more of like that theme you like the, po or the genre, the post-apocalyptic genre you've, you've mentioned that was kind of brought into this book in scenes. Is, is that going to continue in some of the stories? That'd be really, I neat. hope so. Yeah. Cause uh, we're going to get to it very quickly, but that was probably my favorite aspect of this book. So, well, let me ask you, Chris, let's get to our winners and losers, our zero yes. sum game. Let me ask you uh, a couple of questions. I know you've got some questions for me too, but um, what was your favorite part about Total Power? Whether it's a favorite scene, a favorite new character, or just a general feeling about this book that you really liked? What what stood out? What did it do for you? All right. So the favorite part I loved about this book was definitely the blending in the post-apocalyptic genre with like a spy thriller. Um, and putting Mitch into this new situation of having the attack actually happen. Uh, I just, uh, I thought that was great, brilliant. Um, in terms of my favorite scene, um, probably would have to be like some of the, the action scenes in the city with, with Mitch, you know, trying to rescue Sonya or, or Sonya trying to uh, escape um you know they're just these random gang members i really like those um early on in the book i also like you know our typical thriller action scenes with mitch you know either at the diner or with the after he's gotten shot and he's tracked down the other the other two uh terrorists in 
in the SUV. Those are just classic Mitch rap scenes. But yeah, like I like the new scenes. Like you know, we don't really see Mitch. Yeah, we see him like these third world countries, but they have power on, and it's not like a zombie apocalypse with where people are trying to you know go around. And definitely, my favorite new character was uh, Jed Jones. I, I really liked him. Although, like, I don't know if we're necessarily going to see him anymore. But I did. I also like Sonya, who is the other pretty big new character, and I, I do yeah. hope we see her. I think we have to. Sonya, uh, I mean, she was my favorite new character. I like Jed too. I just thought Sonya was well written, and to have a Russian mole that can ingratiate herself with Scott and Mitch, like that's that's hard to write. That's hard to come up with that and make it believable. And it was totally believable. And part of that, the reason for it is because my favorite scenes smack in the middle of the book, even after the attack happens in total chaos. I don't know why I just can't get away from the scene in Manassas hanging out. Everyone's together. There's food, there's drink, there's coming up with plans. There's, there's intelligence. There's everything. There's Marcus, you know, talking about what he does. There's a Russian sleeper agent there, for God's sakes, who is talking with them and working it out with them. And Scott's hitting on her practically, right? And <laughs> Mitch is telling Scott to kill her. And like, I, it's just crazy. Like, I, I don't know what about those scenes. It felt homey. Like, I put this in one of my early reviews of the book. This book equally scared the crap out of me where I was researching all these survivalist fringe websites. Like, what do I put in a go bag? Like, what do I put in a survival kit? But at the same time, my favorite scene was very homey, eating a meal, having some lamb and Sonia just cooked for Scott the pasta. And I'm like, that scene stood out to me more than the action. And I don't know why the action was awesome. Well written. But that scene sticks with me more than anything. I can't explain it. I I think it's like the seeing Mitch's humanity. Like yes. that's what we like. Yes, you know, really, we're really starting to see him more in these last couple now. And yes, we've seen it all the way back to Transfer of Power, where he's trying to, you know, he has this idea of I'm getting out. But we like those little tidbits of of him as a as a person, as a human being, and so like that's why you cling to it. So, yeah. Speaking of Mitch. Um, we want those personal stories, but how'd you feel about him being out of his element? Like Kyle wrote him behind the eight ball with the attack happen and feeling like a failure. What do you think about seeing that uh, rap in those circumstances? I thought it was great. It was a nice like new twist. You know, literally he's pissed off in the beginning because he doesn't, you know, he, he even says like, we messed up. This is our fault. We knew this was going to happen. Um, he can't really do anything at that moment. Um, you know, he's not the person to be, you know, planning how to save people's lives during this thing. He's like, literally, I'm. Once you find me, the guy who did this, then call me. Yeah. You know, and literally, he is out of his element till the almost the very end. Like he is, you, like you said earlier, he's guessing. You know that this is going to work. That he knows is the ISIS that that they're going to do this, and then he's guessing at the very very end that. Uh, these heart rate monitors are not going to do any more damage if, if he sets them off. So I, I feel like we don't really necessarily see Mitch guessing that late into the novel, you know? 
He's more so t- he knows what he needs to do and he's taking action versus, yeah. yes, he's taking action, but he's also unsure about that action. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree with you. I never, I never honestly believed Mitch Rapp might lose. And I never felt like he believed that. Like, Raps maybe doubted himself a few times, but it was never really doubt. Rap knew he was getting the friggin' job done. And he, he did lose this time. It, here, he like, he loses and he's not of people, sure. I don't know how many people are going to actually die, but like yeah. definitely at least thousands of people have died. Yeah. And he's not sure if he could fix it. He's not sure if he, he... He's taking a gamble in the last, like, hundred pages of action. He's taking a gamble multiple times. And I believe that he doesn't think it'll work until the very end. He's pretty confident about the heart rate monitors, but funneling um, Alton and and the ISIS crew into Texas and then capturing the vehicle. He's sitting there checking the watch like, what the hell are we doing here? And even when he's at the substation before the attack happens, he's like, what the hell am I doing here? This is one substation. They're going to take out a bunch. Like, even if I stop this one, it does nothing like that level of failure like whoa that was that was a deep uh part of mitch's psychology i feel like we haven't really seen too often yeah yeah all right so that was that was some things that we liked about it i did want to ask you one more thing does this scenario or you know this this idea does it doesn't scare you in any way i mean go back to our last road to total power episodes right like what was that episode 20 21 yeah, I, I cannot believe the amount of vulnerabilities that Kyle got right on our power grid. And he, he even didn't include what some would argue is the biggest one, an EMP attack. Right. Like he went with the kinetic, like physical attack on the stations uh, and the infrastructure. And he went with the digital cyber attack with the software and the malware. And so like what happened in this book was only a two pronged attack. When the research very clearly says there's there could be a three prong attack, um, which just makes it way worse, uh, which is hard to say, like way worse than 90 percent of Americans potentially dying if rap doesn't save the day. And we're talking about the real world could be worse than that. You know, like I don't want to be a, a doomsday, you know, predictor or anything like that. But it's, yeah, I, I hope like the scene in Congress, these idiot P- congressmen aren't writing this stuff off and are at least looking at the evidence pre- presented, the scientific evidence and saying, or even the intelligence presented and saying, yeah, this is real. Like, let's get with it. What do you think right. about that? No, I, I, I totally agree. But I guess the better question I have to ask you is, well, how would you fare if this did happen? Oh, I'm done. Would, are you prepared? Oh, are, you, no. are you prepared? I'm done. I'm, I'm absolutely done. I will finish all the, you know, Aslan Brewery, local brew in my, in my fridge. I mean, what would I even have? A couple of cans, maybe, of tomato sauce. Uh, <laughs> dude, I'm making pizzas I'm, for like the first couple of days. I'm making so Not many even pizzas. Days. Yeah, I'm I'm done, man. It's over. Not even gonna try. Not yeah, even gonna too. try. I'll take a frisbee. That's what I'll do. I'll toss a frisbee around in a parking lot somewhere, wait for it to end. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. All right. So, what what are some things we didn't like about this? Uh, and I just me off the bat. The the whole hot rate heart rate monitor plot, I didn't love. I see how it was a good device to keep Alton alive, and I, this is another question of like, did you did you really enjoy Alton as a villain? 
I thought ultimately he was a little weak. And I, I felt in the beginning, I was like, man, he's really intelligent. He's really strong. And in the end, he just, he was so weak. And I didn't see that coming from the beginning. I, I, I thought he was going to be way stronger than what he was. Like, we mentioned this in our last pod, how, like, he's the perfect blend of both Hank Clark and the professor, the professor or P- Peter Cameron. But in the end, he's more Peter Cameron, like, than he is than he is Hank Clark. You know, and he, 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 like, literally transitions from Hank Clark to Peter Cameron. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you. Um, Alton started out as a really strong villain, smart, quirky, this weird, like, socially awkward thing. And it's like, oh, he's one of those geniuses who knows everything and was hired by the government and has access. Who can take it all down? Here we go. But I guess because of our uh, the theme we've identified, loss of control, he did weaken. And that was part of the storyline. And I agree. The second half of the book, he didn't quite give me that frightening edge that he opened with. I guess Isis still did in some ways, but uh, the interplay between he and Isis, I'll agree with you. It got a little weird, uh, a little weak, and uh, possibly unbelievable. Like you said, he killed, um, what was the general's name, who took over after Halabi? Nahas, I want to say. Oh, yeah. Um, he, he just stabs him Nahas. and kills him, and I'm like, could he really do that? So you, you convinced me on, on that point, but... There's there's something bigger that I don't know if it's just me personally, but I instead I really like seeing rap in the theater of war. I, I really prefer him not just abroad and in the Middle East, you know, like I think of the Yemen scenes in Lethal Agent. Mm-hmm. At least half of Lethal Agent had him in his element doing what Mitch does. And that right. was and that was nice. And those action scenes were my favorite of, of that book. This didn't ever give me that, right? Like here it was a much more, it was a sober Mitch down to reality Mitch. And um, while that, that was new and exciting to see him in that role, I wanted to see him operating in a theater of war, which doesn't fit this book at all. But for me, like if I'm, when we rate these books and I might've said this before, I can't wait to get to Mitch in Afghanistan. I cannot wait to get to Mitch right in the heart of the war on terror. And um, right. books that are a little more domestic uh, and where he's operating at home, even like third option, right? I, I, that one didn't stand out to me as like a top half or top five of the Mitch Rapp books simply because he was operating pretty much on domestic soil. So part of it for me is just my personal bias, but he was driving around too much. We're bouncing between West Virginia, Manassas. Oh, let's drive back to West Virginia. Oh, we're on the road. Let's drive to... Um, let's stop at this bunker somewhere in, in the Appalachian mountains. And I got a little lost and it dragged out. I, our conversation kind of dragged. I felt during those parts of the book as well. Uh, they just weren't doing it for me when Mitch, Mitch was driving from here, driving there. It was just a little too scattered and drawn out in that middle third. So, yeah, no, I could, I could see that. And, um, yeah, I, I think that we, besides the action at the motel and the action of, of Mitch, you know, taking out people in D.C., you know, and half of that we get off, you know, sort of off book, not off camera, but off book. Yeah, we don't have a lot of action. You know, we have him taking the hostage on the plane, but again, it's like, it's very short action. And then again, taking the hostage down in Texas and then we get the obligatory, you know, interrogation scenes. But yeah, I know you're right. You're right. I guess 
we have to give our final rating. Yes. So for me, I I, I really like this book, and I, I've told you why I like it. I like the apocalypse. I like the new element that Mitch was put in. So I gave it an A minus. Not as good as Lethal Agent. I, I I'm, I'm gonna say uh, I gave it an A minus, an eight point seven. Uh, but yeah, no solid book. I really liked it. I could see that. Yeah, that's my rating. Yeah, I I could see that. I um. I think I'm 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 still I'm still playing with this one in my mind. I want to get a few more books in to really land on where this one falls. Um, you know, only covering this is our sixth book so far. I I don't think I can put it on my my whole rating list just yet. You know, whether it's going to be towards the middle or if it will crack that top half. Um, yeah, I'm torn, but I I could see where you're at with that with that A minus. I would probably go a little lower than that. Um, I, I'd put it in the B, B plus range for me only compared to, I mean, in this podcast, we mentioned Memorial day. So I know that one's coming. I just finished right. up the, no, it's... the last man. I'm halfway through the survivor. So some of these classics, and we didn't even touch American assassin and kill shot. So I'm just trying to put it in the context of all that and the books that work for me personally. And so, yeah, I'm probably going to put it in at about that B range. Yeah. It, we're definitely going to do a, a pod where we. Uh, recalibrate at least 10 books re, 10 books and we we sort of think about everything you know as a whole but yeah i solid book uh, it's also hard to rate fresh books you know like yeah. that just come out there's not a lot of discourse we're like we are the first discourse about them so um yeah at least with lethal agent we had a lot of things that we could read online a lot of reviews to read um this you know very fresh. So and Lethal Agent, we had a year for it to sink in, if you will. Right. I, this one exactly. This one I think is going to age very well of Sure. Uh especially depending on what happens in current events and how things play out. Uh I think this one will age well. For sure. Yeah. Nice. Well the last thing, you know, we have to wrap up with, we always do our cover poll. Which cover yes. was the audience's favorite and our favorite? Well, in this case, we only have one cover, and I am grateful for that because, man, this one nailed it. I really like this cover. If we're talking about covers to Emily Bessler and crew and everyone else at Simon & Schuster, this is the perfect package. Once you look at this one in hardcover with this nice shine on it, the, uh, the, the, the depth of the dark blue compared to the, uh, the liveliness, you know, how vivid the the electric blue is in the bottom left you can watch that presidential seal just disappear into oblivion as it as it goes from being in the bright hues to the darker hues and um great cover especially in the hardcover edition i i thought it would be a, a fun exercise uh since we don't have alternative covers to both me and you mike to come up ourselves with some alternative book covers um and for me, you got to have some sort of random guy, <laughs> supposedly Mitch Rapp, running through, I don't know, some random thing. So <laughs> The power things lines that, things worked that, here. The random power things lines. Things that I thought of. Through. Yes. <laughs> things that I thought of. You know, if we want to have something that actually works, we could have power lines. We could have, you know, DC. So things that don't work. Running on the mall. Uh, <laughs> Union <laughs> Station. the cap. Running through Union Station, running through the Capitol building um, with the power off. 
Um, oh wait, all those have been I... done in books that it relate doesn't relate to. So who knows? <laughs> one thing I really thought that would be cool that would gi- wouldn't give away like too much of the book um, could be to have like the whole diner scene. Like you could have Mitch in a crosshair running across while like two people are shooting at him from a diner and then you could also while having like this you know loss of light or like you know some sort of light shattering or you try to bring in the power thing um but yeah those are my ideas i like i like the diner scene if we're gonna put mitch in a random place on a cover like all the other books did a diner would make sense in the mountains for that one scene those are pretty good i'm thinking a flag somehow I think playing with light and dark on the on the the presidential seal here is really good, but yeah, I like that. I wonder if if there was somehow a flag worked in instead of the seal. Still the light and dark, different uh, blue hues of blue, but I'm wondering like a, a draped flag, but you don't see the stars, you know, um, up in the field because that's all blacked out or something as it you know fades into oblivion. Something like that could have worked for me. Yeah, I like that abstract. That's nice. But then again, knowing that these are completely random, it should just be a guy sitting in McDonald's somewhere and someone flips a switch and turns the lights off. That's what they like going for. Just put put a random dude with a gun in a scene that has nothing to do with the book. You can have Mitch on a boat, right? Like that'd be perfect for this. Mitch on a boat because why not? He's never on a boat in the book. Perfect. Let's put it on the cover not? in two years. Hey, down the road, there's going to be like crosshairs on like a substation or something like that. You know, I mean, well, that makes sense. Too much detail. Like, would people know it's like a power electric? Maybe something with fire because of the wildfires that they try oh, to start. The fires. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. These last two books really, their initial covers were very good. The lethal agent with yep. the you know the little the map. infections coming up coming yeah. up through mexico and yeah. and this one the light in the dark I, I really i really like them they, they did a good job with this so hats off to them yep yes indeed yes indeed yeah well that's total power that was awesome that glad, was good glad we could glad we could uh could finally talk to you guys about that yes indeed and thank you kyle for giving us this gem yes So, Chris, what are we covering on our next episode? Right. So, be on the lookout for our next episode following Monday. We're not quite sure what we're going to do. We have a couple interviews, a couple of um, cool things in the works. We need to decide what what we're going to actually publish, but we promise you it will be exciting. So, yeah, be on the lookout for that. Again, at the end of every episode, we need to thank our patrons who make this podcast possible including our special operator, Sherry F., also our special agents. We have uh, Matt, James, Roman, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, and Jeff. Yeah, without you guys, we wouldn't be here. And please, 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 please subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us online at midtrappod.com or using our Twitter handle at MitrapPod, or on Instagram at MitrapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch.
Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.